0: Well, that was close, that change. <laughs> Next time we need to do more than one song after a baptism. So, uh, Some of you know um, that I have two different birth certificates in my um, safe. The first birth certificate lists my um, place of birth and date and time of birth, and it lists my name as Timothy Brown and my father as James Brown, not the soul singer, a different James Brown. The second birth certificate lists my name as Timothy Peck, same date, same time, same place, but lists my father as Mike Peck. Now, when I was born, Mike Peck didn't even know that I existed. So, how is that even possible? Sounds like a riddle, right? Well, my birth father abandoned my mom and I right after I was born. And so um, eventually the courts terminated his parental rights. And a couple of years later, my mom met Mike and they got married. And when I was about seven or eight years old, my mom's second husband, Mike, adopted me. And that's when a judge in Los Angeles issued a new birth certificate, changing my name from Timothy Brown to Timothy Peck. So I have two different birth certificates. The last couple of weeks, we've celebrated 10 baptisms and received 18 new members here at Glenkirk. And being baptized is a little bit like getting a new birth certificate. We're in the fourth week of our series called Welcome to the Story. And in this series, we've been looking at how the Exodus story in the Bible becomes our story when we trust in Jesus. We've seen how Israel's slavery in Egypt points to our own plight, our own slavery to sin, evil, and death, and how God sending Moses for Israel points to God sending Jesus for us. And then last week we saw how the Passover lamb points to the sacrifice Jesus, the Lamb of God, made to redeem us from our slavery to sin. And today we're going to look at Israel's crossing of the Red Sea and from Exodus chapter 14 and then from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 we're going to see how this story becomes our story through Jesus so i want to invite you if you're able would you stand with me for the reading of God's word today first in Exodus chapter 14 beginning in verse 13 it says Moses answered the people do not be afraid Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock is Christ. You can be seated. After God sent the 10th and final plague on Egypt, the Egyptians finally agreed to let the people of Israel go free. However, no sooner had Israel left Egypt when the Pharaoh changed his mind and rallied his troops to chase Israel to try to get them back again. And as Pharaoh and his armies chase Israel through the desert, Israel reaches the shore of the Red Sea. And with an ocean in front of them and an Egyptian army behind them and a barren desert on either side, they are hemmed in and trapped. The people are terrified and they begin to blame Moses for putting them in this situation. And that's where our text picks up. Now, if you're over 60, when you think of this story, this is probably what you picture. Charlton Heston as Moses in Cecil B. DeMille's classic 1956 film, The Ten Commandments, remains one of the most dramatic portrayals of the crossing of the Red Sea that has been created. If you're under 40, you might picture this. This is from the 1998 DreamWorks animated classic, The Prince of Egypt, Uh, also a dramatic portrayal of the crossing of the Red Sea. But however we picture it, notice the focus in Exodus 14 is almost exclusively on what God does, not on what Israel does. In verse 13, Moses tells the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. God is the focus of the action in this chapter, and the people are called to simple, quiet, trust in God and putting one foot in front of the other. Now, when Israel left Egypt, God led them with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And the cloud represented God's presence. The, the visible manifestation of the presence of God within Israel was symbolized in the cloud. But now, as Israel is trapped, shore of the Red Sea, verse 19 says that the cloud moves from in front of them, where it has been leading them, so they know where to go next, which direction, to behind them, in between Israel and the armies of Egypt. And on one side, the cloud brings light, presumably on Israel's side, and on the other side, it brings darkness. And in verse 21, Moses stretches out his staff over the Red Sea, and God sends a wind all night long to divide the water. And all Israel, men, women, and children, step onto the dry land and walk through the sea into freedom. If you keep reading this chapter, the next verses say that Pharaoh and the Egyptian army chase Israel into the sea. But once Israel is safely on the other side, the wind stops, the walls of water collapse, and the Egyptian armies drowned. This marks the final stage in Israel's redemption from slavery into freedom. And our reading from 1 Corinthians 10 shows us that this story is our story, too. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing mostly to non-Jewish Christians who probably weren't as familiar with this story as Jewish people would have been. And that's why he says in verse 1, he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He wants them to know this. He calls Israel our ancestors. Even though most of the Christians in Corinth weren't Jewish, and most Christians living today, most Christians at Glenkirk aren't Jewish, through Jesus, we have become part of this story. These are our ancestors as well. Ancestors not by blood, but ancestors by faith. But here's why Paul brings this up in 1 Corinthians. Apparently, some of the Corinthian Christians were doing some pretty shady stuff. And they were counting on the fact that they had been baptized to protect them from the consequences of what they were up to. They thought their participation in the sacrament of baptism and their participation in communion meant that they could disobey God without any consequences for their actions. And so in this chapter... Paul reminds them that even though all Israel passed through the cloud and through the Red Sea, and even though all Israel ate the food and drink in the desert, not all Israel made it to the promised land. But what I really want to focus in on here is how the cloud and the sea are a type of Christian baptism. Verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The technical term for what Paul is doing here is called typology. Typology looks at how some patterns from Old Testament stories are repeated later on. The cloud and the Red Sea crossing point to our baptism as followers of Jesus. In fact, some of the early church mothers and fathers pointed out that the cloud points to the Holy Spirit's work in baptism, and the water points to the water that's used in baptism. The Red Sea crossing becomes our story through our baptism, which is why we schedule baptisms today. Through our baptism, we pass through the cloud and we cross through the sea just as Israel did. We are baptized into Jesus, just as Israel was baptized into Moses, who was a type of Jesus, who pointed forward to the coming of Jesus as our deliverer. So if this is new to you, welcome to the story. This is part of your story as well. Now, the subject of baptism raises a lot of different questions. Different churches believe and teach different things about baptism. Some churches have divided over baptism. Uh, Just this last week, I had breakfast with some of our members with questions about baptism that had come up in their small group. And I certainly won't be able to answer every question about baptism today. In fact, we have a whole section in our Belong class dedicated to questions and answers about baptism. And we're going to do another one on Sunday afternoons, April 23rd and April 30th, from 2 to 4.30, if you want to take that and have some of those questions answered. But I think the Red Sea crossing in Exodus and 1 Corinthians 10 give us some insights about baptism, and I want to mention three of them today in our time together. First, the Red Sea Crossing, like the Red Sea Crossing, our baptism signifies God's work of redemption. It signifies God's work. In Exodus 14, God is the one who is working, not Israel. When some people talk about baptism, they focus on what the person being baptized is doing that person's obedience, or that person's faith, or that person's profession. Some Christians even define baptism as an outward sign of an inward faith. Now, don't get me wrong. Faith is important, and we're going to talk a lot about that. But I don't think baptism is primarily about our faith. In fact, I don't think baptism is primarily about anything that we do. It's primarily about what God does. Consider the fact that Baptism, by definition, is something that's done to us. You can't baptize yourself, or at least you shouldn't try to. Anyone who's baptized is baptized by someone else. We are passive during our baptism with someone else either immersing us with water or pouring or sprinkling water on us. And this is because baptism doesn't signify anything that the person being baptized is doing. It's signifying what God is doing. Consider how Paul describes baptism in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We'll put the slide of that up. Paul writes, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul connects baptism here to circumcision, which I'll talk a little bit more in a minute. And faith is certainly present in verse 12, faith in the working of God. But notice all the verbs in these verses are in the passive voice. You were circumcised. Your whole self was put off. You were buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ. These are all verbs in the passive voice. These are not things that the person being baptized does. God is the one who is doing these things. Baptism is an outward sign of what God does. Not of anything that we do. So what exactly does God do in baptism? Well, we sometimes use the words sign and seal to describe what God does. And we get these verb, these words from uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 11. Baptism is a sign. It points to something. And it's a seal. It authenticates the promises that God has made to us through His Son, Jesus. God has revealed those promises in His Word, in the Bible. Baptism is the visible sign that points to those promises. As a sign, baptism points to God's promise to forgive sins. That's something God does through Jesus. As a sign, baptism points to God's promise to give people new life through the resurrection of Jesus. That's something God does. Through Christ's death and resurrection, God works to forgive sins. To redeem, to create new life. Baptism is an outer work of the promises that God does, that God achieves. And that brings us to our second insight. Like the Red Sea crossing, baptism also separates us as God's people, it separates us. The cloud and the sea marked Israel's transition from being slaves who belonged to Egypt to being a new covenant community that belonged to God. Israel went into the Red Sea one thing, and they came out the other side something else. Baptism separates us as God's people. It's like a seal of authenticity. It's a seal that marks us as authentically belonging to God and authentically being part of God's covenant community. Notice again from Exodus 14, all Israel was baptized in the sea. Adults, children, babies, the young children passed through the cloud and across the sea in the arms of their parents' faith. But they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I put up Colossians 2 earlier because it helps us explain why here at Glenkirk we baptize the children of believers. Now, I know not all churches do that, and I'm not here to speak negatively about other churches and what they believe, but here's why we do it. Before Jesus, before he came, circumcision was the sign of God's promises and the seal that authenticated that a person belonged to God and belonged to the people of God. And so in ancient Israel, they had two kinds of circumcision, what you might call believer's circumcision and what you might call infant circumcision. So say an Egyptian family saw what God did in Egypt and wanted to join Israel, left Egypt and wanted to join the people of God. If that happened, and we know from Exodus that it did happen, The adult men in that family would undergo what we might call believer's circumcision. They would be circumcised as a sign of God's work to redeem his people. And that would be a seal that they belonged to God and that they were part of the people of God. Their faith in God and their circumcision meant that they were a part of Israel, even though they weren't ethnically Jewish. And they would be just as much a part of Israel as anybody born in Israel was. But there was also infant circumcision. People already born in Israel, already in Israel, would circumcise their baby boys eight days after they were born. And these babies would receive the sign of God's work of redemption, the seal authenticating that they had been um, belonged to God and they were part of the people of God while they were babies. And then the parents and the community would all commit themselves, pledge themselves to raise those Babies to love and obey God. And as the child grew, they would pray that that child would eventually live into his circumcision so that over time he would have his own faith. And in Judaism, boys confirm that faith at their bar mitzvah when they turn 13 years old. Now, the Bible's connection between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New is why we baptize adults who believe in Jesus and their children. Now, obviously, there are some differences. Baptism is for both men and women, boys and girls. Baptism is a sign of what Jesus did for us and what God does through Jesus. Baptism is a seal authenticating that a baptized child is a now one of us, part of his church. Parents here have their children baptized during our worship services, and together we commit ourselves to them to help raise that child to love and obey God. When they cry and fuss in the nursery, we are the ones who hold them. When they memorize Bible verses at Awana, we celebrate with them. When they pull the fire alarm during a worship service, we show them grace. When they become awkward teenagers, we accept them. When they question their faith, we are patient with them. And we hope and pray and work that they will eventually confirm their baptism with their own faith in Jesus. And when they do, we celebrate with them. You see, in both the Old and New Testaments, the people of God are always a mixed community of those who have faith and the children of those who have faith, who may or may not yet have faith. And baptism is what separates us as God's people. And God's people include those who trust in Jesus and their children. Finally, and third, like the Red Sea crossing, our baptism seals our transition from death into life. It seals that transition. Sometimes we call baptism a sacrament. And the simplest definition of a sacrament is that a sacrament is a God-given visible sign of an invisible spiritual grace. And in baptism, the visible sign is water. Now, water can bring both life and death. We, we need water to live. Without water, we die of thirst. Water can be life-giving, but water can also be dangerous as well. When I was on a six-day tiger cruise with my Navy son on his guided missile cruiser, he was on Um, As he was coming back from deployment, I was on that cruise from uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, into San Diego. I was struck with how vast the ocean was. As I stood on the deck in the middle of the Pacific, all I could see was ocean in every direction I looked. And it was unnerving. We've been reminded of the destructive power of water this week, week with all the rain causing flooding and mudslides throughout California. In the ancient world, water was often associated with chaos. And anyone who's ever been taken out by a rogue wave and turned upside down and and gotten pummeled by the waves knows what that chaos feels like. The water of baptism is sometimes pictured as a kind of death, as a tomb, as a grave. And just as passing through the cloud and passing through the sea sealed Israel's transition from slavery in Egypt Into freedom, baptism seals our transition from death into life. But this transition is not automatic. Some churches teach that baptism automatically saves a person, even a baby that's baptized. That's not what I think, and that's not what Glenkirk teaches either. It's a sign and a seal of God's work to fulfill his promises, And we've got to receive those promises by faith. Now, that faith may start with our parents' faith and our church community's faith. But eventually, as we grow, it has to become our own. We have to embrace those promises ourselves with our own faith. Baptism is the seal of that transition from death to life. So yes, I keep both birth certificates in my safe. One represents my life as Timothy Brown. The other is Timothy Peck. Each represents a different identity. I received the first identity when I was born. And the second identity when I was about seven or eight years old. But it was during my first year of college that I struggled over which of these identities was really mine. See, when I was 14 years old, my birth father came back into my life filled with apologies and regrets and promises. And he was there for a couple of weeks and then disappeared again. And around that same time, I was doing a lot of rebellious things at home that damaged my relationship with my adoptive father. In fact, we didn't even talk for a few years. So it was during my first year of college that I wondered, should I search for my birth father and embrace my identity as Timothy Brown? Should I reconcile with my adoptive father and embrace my identity as Timothy Peck? I was now an adult. It was my decision to make. And I chose to embrace my identity as Tim Peck. And you know, it was only after making that choice and reconciling with my adoptive dad that I really began to understand the family story. The Peck family story. And it's a great story. Story that includes pastors that went back to the 1800s. I didn't know that before. It's a story about abolitionists running the Underground Railroad. Some of my ancestors following the gold rush to California and settling here. And even though I'm not a Peck by blood, that's my story. And I have the birth certificate to prove it. The sign and the seal of my inclusion in that story. We've celebrated 10 baptisms in the last few weeks. Just for perspective, the average church in America baptizes one person a year. This is God's work. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not Glenkirk's. This is something God has been doing during this season. And today we've been reminded that the story of the Red Sea Crossing becomes our story through our baptism. Whether we are baptized as babies, children, students, adults, we pass through the cloud and pass through the sea. Baptism signifies God's work of redemption. It separates us as God's people, and it seals our transition from death to life. This is our story. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this story in Scripture. And thank you, Father, that it points forward to our experience. That these aren't just dusty stories of the ancient world and days gone by. But that you bring us into this story. And Lord, for the the four that were baptized today. Jeliana, Jameson, Journey, and James. And for the two that will be baptized next service, Colt and Weston. Father, their baptism today reminds us, this is our story. May we learn to live fully into that story each day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.